the world's most exciting podcast, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage, host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. You're listening to Strictly Anonymous on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. Welcome to the Strictly Anonymous podcast. Conversations with online strangers. We place ads online. Craigslist is definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Real people respond. You go to Singapore or Thailand. You can't not do it. The temptation is just too much. Real problems. Does your friend know that you're banging her? No, he has no idea. And anything goes. Motto of the show, let your Greek flag fly. Probably the only good advice I'll ever give you is to rehide your whips and chains. Here are your hosts, Kathy Kay and Tommy. Hey, welcome to Strictly Anonymous Podcast with Kathy. If you want to follow Strictly Anonymous Podcast on Twitter, follow the show at Strictly Anonymous, or follow me at Cartoon Therapy. If you can write a review for my show, please write a review. I really like reviews. I need reviews. I like reviews. <laughs> uh, if you want to be on my show, I'm always looking for people to call in. Uh, I tape episodes all the time. They're pre-recorded, so I'm pretty flexible. You could call me anytime. I'll talk to you. I mean, I mean, we have to like establish the time, but like it's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, so if you want to be on my show, it's a call and advice show where I talk to people about their secret lives, their naughty lives. I talk to people about their problems. I give them advice, even though it's unprofessional. I think I give good advice. So if you want to be on my show, again, send me an email at strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. I have on a girl who was a listener of the show. And really, she became a listener because she was a part of um, another episode. She was like the third party of another episode. I had a guy on recently called Rob. He was a polyamorous guy. Uh, You could listen to his episode. It aired pretty recently, um, a couple of weeks ago. Rob is polyamorous is the title. Uh, It's episode 166, actually. And um, he was in a relationship with a girl and another girl, right? That's what you do in polyamorous relationships. And this girl, Marie, was actually listened to that um, episode. And then she called in to give me an update on their polyamorous relationship. Um, And that update does not disappoint. (laughs) So if you listen to Rob and if you agreed with my analysis of his current polyamorous relationship, you're going to be very satisfied when you listen to Marie uh, and her update of what went down after we taped that podcast. And like, let me tell you, shit went down like right after we spoke because uh, 
she wound up writing me like very early after that episode aired. Anyway, um, so she's on to talk all about that. And then we get into her whole life story. You know, this was a girl that was like in rehab at 15. And then she was married and had really crazy marriage. I mean, even though it looked on the surface to be like this really great marriage, she was like constantly cheating. And she was kind of like a mess, even though she wasn't a mess. Um, And then, uh, you know, fast forward to her meeting Rob, and then he dumps her. And like, literally, that was like her fucking bottom, because she had fallen back off the wagon. And now she's like, clean again for like, you know, a little while. So we go through all of that stuff. We start when she's like 15. We talk all about her marriage, which had so many twists and turns that you would not see coming. And so that's a very interesting story. And then, like I said, we get the update on what happened with Rob and why it sent her into such a tizzy that she wound up getting clean again for the second time in her life. So it's really an interesting story. Uh, You get a lot of information from Marie all about her polyamorous experience her first relationship why she cheated how she cheated who she cheated with all that kind of good stuff so anyway i'm gonna be right back on with marie do you have a story lifestyle or situation you can't talk about to anyone to anyone or do you just want to let your freak flag fly and be on the show well strictly anonymous wants to hear from you Send us an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com with your story and your anonymous name. And remember, everything is Strictly Anonymous. Strictly Anonymous. Hey, Marie. Welcome to Strictly Anonymous Podcast. You're on with Kathy. How are you? Hi, Kathy. I'm pretty good. Good. I'm like, I was kind of excited to get your email. Like one, because I always like to have female guests on my show because I don't get a lot of females but the other reason and maybe there's three reasons one because you're a female two because you have a very interesting story like you know your life story separate from the my third reason which is that I was fucking right and I like being right like I taped an episode with a guy and we're going to start with this little thing first um, just to get out of the way you I taped an episode with a guy named Rob who was polyamorous recently we did that episode and it aired right and you were the third person in their relationship and when he was explaining to me about his most recent polyamorous relationship, which you were the third person and like in, that was included in that. I like sort of sense that there was like an issue with his girl being jealous. And I predicted that I smelled trouble down the line, right? And he was a little defensive to my prediction. That's what I remember. Am I correct? <laughs> you are... Very, very correct, yes. (laughs) Well, I was correct that there was a problem, but wasn't I correct that I said it and he like really was like, no, you're totally wrong. And I was like, I think I'm fucking right. Like there's something that's not right here. Yes, I absolutely. I listened to the episode while actually getting my toes done. Uh huh. And I think it was probably two or three weeks after you had recorded it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there with my mouth open thinking, oh, my God, this is all happening right now. Did he record this like yesterday? Because (laughs) so what you're saying is like two weeks later, you got there was like the demise of your guys relationship because she got jealous. (laughs) Right. 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 Well, it's multifaceted. I think I think he for like he knew deep down that she was 
something was going on. And I think he really downplayed my involvement with him and his involvement with me. Oh, to keep Um, her like to keep her jealous sort of behavior that he felt was brimming like under control. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was less than honest with her. Mm-hmm. which I didn't find out till much later. Yeah, and that uh, never helps because I've talked about this a million times on my podcast and this is so true, okay? It's like people have intuition, right? And like when you include lying in any kind of situation, especially polyamorous where it's supposed to be totally open and everything's on the up and up, right? Like that's like the number one rule and that's what he talked about. When you lie about anything, even if it is like that, like you're really like in love with the other person or whatever, like... I think that fuels and feeds any kind of jealousy and makes it 10 times worse as opposed to the opposite, which is the reason why people do stuff like that. They think like that's going to keep it under control. But women have, and men too, like have like, we have like psychic vibes. Like we pick up on shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it freaks you out and it makes you fucking crazy. You know what I mean? And it only makes matters worse and I think it's like really interesting I wish we could get him on a three-way or maybe I'll have a part two (laughs) with him (laughs) call him out that like I think he talked about how like you know just being open and honest was the number one rule in those kind of relationships and he wasn't honest with her about you because like was it the fact that you guys were like were falling in love or were Um, in love or I don't think it was that I think I mean, I think he told you a lot about their story, but essentially they never really vetted each other to be primary partners. Mm-hmm. They were both like kind of people, side pieces or just friends with benefits. And both of their main relationships that they lived with those people fell apart and they just naturally became each other's primary boyfriend and girlfriend. Right. I remember so that. I, mm-hmm. So when I came along, um, like our first month of dating, it seemed like his girlfriend had a crisis every time he and I had a date scheduled. Right. And I called him out on that. And I said, fine, if she, you know, I respect you. If you really need to cancel this date and go hang out, do whatever for her, do it. But you need to tell her you canceled a date. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just be on call for her freak outs. If you canceled plans with somebody to be there for her it's going to mean more to her i think that oh my boyfriend cares about me so much that he would you know cancel this other date he had to be with me right but maybe Um, she needed that you know what i mean like maybe that's what she wanted and maybe that's what she thought being primary would be all about right no i guess that's for me yeah but she i mean essentially she wanted to know nothing about me she didn't want me to exist it got to the point where he wasn't allowed to like mention my name or say he was hanging out with me. Um, but then she'd do weird stuff like, are you coming to my place tonight? And he'd be like, no, I'm going to stay in town. And she'd, you know, be like, well, who are you seeing? He, she like told him he wasn't like, he was allowed to see me, but not talk about me and this weird control kind of stuff. Well, she obviously, uh, you know what it was is she wasn't being truthful with him and the the worst thing is she wasn't being truthful with herself like she was obviously in a situation that she could not deal with 
You know what I mean? Like, obviously, she had an issue, maybe in her other relationship where she had another person, you know, it was different because maybe she had like more security under her belt with that as a primary person with that other person. Maybe she was with them for a lot longer, but well, they lived together. So I yeah, think it's a different that mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but you know, to be honest, Rob was not being transparent with her about our sex life. What, um, in what sense? I mean, she knew you were having sex, right? Yeah. Uh, essentially he and I were not using protection. Mm -hmm. And I was okay with that. I knew they weren't either. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that she at the time didn't have any other partners and I didn't either. So I was comfortable with that. Um, But after that started happening, I was like, you've told her, right? Like she needs to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And he never told her. He didn't tell her until like two or three weeks after he and I broke up where she finally told him he wasn't allowed to speak to me or have any contact with me at all. And, and what said, would be the you- point of telling her then? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like at that point, like why even bother saying it? If you've lied the whole time, now you just make yourself look like an asshole. Well, because they like, she basically all but gave him an ultimatum. She essentially said, I, like we need to be monogamous or mm-hmm. we can't be together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, like, if you're going to do the monogamy thing, if you're going to start off with a clean slate, you need to come clean to her about all the stuff you should have come clean to her about. Not necessarily. I mean, I, I would say no, I wouldn't say that that's the truth. Um, I would, if he was my friend, I would have told him, don't fucking tell her anything that you were because when you come clean what you're saying ultimately is I've been lying and you can't trust me and who wants to get into a monogamous relationship with somebody that has been looking you in the face and lying you know that just kills a situation I get why some people think that that's like the best thing but it's really not if you ask me well she had already caught him doing that um doing essentially he after it's what however long ago and six weeks ago or something you know he told me look i'm gonna be monogamous with her because she's twisting herself up about trying to be okay with you and i and it's not working mm-hmm. and that's the choice i'm making which did really floor me because for the last couple months when things started coming up he said you know i would if she asked me to do that i wouldn't it's compromising right. who i am but then he did yeah that um, and that's hard for you to swallow right mm-hmm. um so- and it's hard for me because in the beginning of us dating he called me out he said look i don't even know if you like me and i said well dude you have a girlfriend who's really freaking needy like i don't want to like you like i don't want to develop feelings for you right and he convinced me like i could trust him and it was okay and all this stuff when it wasn't Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sounds kind of like a little bit of like a typical guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. even though he's polyamorous, like, that's what kind of sucks. Like, you know, I think we all in life want to find like something that like exists that's like perfect and different than like what we know to be reality, which is like, you know, guys cu- could suck. I mean, people could suck, right? And so you think, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to do polyamory, right? And probably in that world, everything's perfect and the guys are like super cool and honest, right? And it turns out he's just like a regular fucking dude. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Right. It did get to the point, though, even after he and I were no longer romantic, mm-hmm. and she, she supported us just being friends. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he and I hung out a few times, like got lunch as just friends. Um, 
and he never told her. So I found out much later because I started getting fuck you texts from her. Oh my God. Like every time. She How old are you guys? Drunk. I mean, you guys are not 15, right? I mean, no, we were all in our 30s. Right, um, right, right. It's sad when it resort. Like, it's sad for everybody in situations <laughs> like, especially her, because she's like, at that point, she's like lost control. Like, what are you doing? You know, texting another girl, fuck you. And then you're getting that on your end, and you don't even know that he's like lying. And it's just a big fat mess. Right, right. And it's all kind of his, a lot of it is his responsibility, right? And he's kind of playing you both in totally. a way, you know, that's what's uh, really fucked up. You both are having like normal feelings, you know, like, listen, I don't think that she's right for what she did, but like you could kind of understand, right? The sad thing oh, yeah. is, is that I think people aren't really honest with themselves. You know, she couldn't fucking handle it for whatever reason, you know, and instead of sort of being honest about that up front she tortured herself and dealt with it and tried like you said all these weird ways to control the situation because she was trying to be okay with something that she was just not okay with you know and then eventually when she said no i can't deal you have to be monogamous he was still lying to her and then you're in a terrible position because you're like sitting there like you said like you had your guard up because you sort of felt like this situation was not that stable right but he kept sort of playing you and telling you to let your guard down and you probably did and then you fell for him and then he's like oh now I'm gonna go be monogamous to her which is like total rejection pretty much yep yeah and that you know and it's just like I said I just think he's kind of like you know a douchey guy (laughs) You know, yeah, uh, and I I have been in her situation before mm-hmm. in one way or another. Well, let's start and with you. Let's like go from there because I don't want to focus too much about that. So, I mean, that thing just got into a mess, and I know that you said in your email to me like it just devastated you and sent you down a path of like probably getting like like back hooked on like things um, because you were an addict maybe previously when you were younger and you went to rehab and uh, you've been sort of like fell off the wagon the past six months. So let's like get into your stuff, right? Sure. <laughs> let's um. start when you're 15. <laughs> we have, you know, an hour. I mean, like, cause like this plays into the story. Like you're, when you were 15, you went into rehab, right? Because you had what kind of problem? What did you have a problem with at 15 that you went into rehab for? Um, essentially, you know, it's, I'm, I'm still trying to unravel this, which is hilarious, like 16 years later, but, um, my parents got divorced when I was 13 and there was a lot of rocky years leading up to that. Mm -hmm. And I was this oversensitive child who played family therapist and family caretaker and was there, you know, for all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you the only child or no? No, I have um, one full blood younger sister. Okay. Um, So I was kind of the, the person where there wasn't enough space for me to express emotions and I had to make sure everybody else was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when my mom um, moved into her own place when I was 13, essentially the, the uh, Peruvian immigrant who helped her move all her boxes in, like never left. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he is like a raging alcoholic, a violent drunk. Oh God. And this was, like, right after she divorced your father. Like, this is, like, the guy literally. Right. My dad had his own, like, anger and depression issues. He was definitely a porn addict. I remember at 12 one day the family computer, the desktop, got saved over as, like, 
like a woman and two dudes in a porn scene and i was like 12 so i wrote my dad like a hate note about how disgusting he is and oh my god yeah that's a lot yeah um so in my 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 dad was definitely like depressed and um his brother had died from brain cancer and he was 42 so my dad like was just dealing with all that he grew up in new york and was in the whole drug scene in the 70s in new york city so you know years later without therapy stuff can come back up Mm -hmm. um but for my mom she thought this drunk who was a great guy you know six days out of the week was a better influence than my dad who was mediocrely an asshole right right i mean she didn't step up right and i think i always felt abandoned it was like me my sister and my mom like survived my dad we were gonna like make it in the world together and then poof as soon as before we even get a new house and get settled there's alcoholic dude right Um, and when you say he was violent was it to your mother was it to you guys or was it to all of you it was to my mom there were times where he'd like uh you know his thing was if he ever drank hard shit then he would get violent so Mm -hmm. You'd hear an argument and you'd, you know, find him like trying to strangle my mom with a shower curtain. Oh I kicked God. him I kicked him out at knife point a few times between the ages of thirteen and fifteen. Meaning like he had the knife and you like got it away from him or he was like hitting your mom and you t- went in with the knife. <laughs> yeah, he was like hitting like being violent with my mom mm-hmm. and I would like grab a kitchen knife and just totally rage, like get the fuck out, like totally mama bear yeah 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 and what would he do when you have the knife would that like stop him in his tracks uh he would try he would just do the alcoholic thing of like oh baby i don't mean that or whatever 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 right i would get him out Mm -hmm. um but you know in that respect i was like the man of the house too yeah, totally. I mean, um, right. Coming from when, you know, you're with your parents and holding that, their shit together as well. Right. And now um, you're trying to help her from, you know, another man that's abusing her. Right. And my dad was basically everything but physically abusive to mm-hmm. my mom. Mm-hmm. I, as a kid, I recall, like, they would be fighting all night. And my sister, who was like five and I was 12, we'd end up like going, walking the streets basically at like midnight just to get out of the house. Wow. And we'd get back at two in the morning and they'd still be fighting and they would never know we left. Oh my God. That's heavy shit to go down. And so did you like pick up alcohol or something that like that at 15, they put you in rehab? Essentially once my, like once it became apparent that my mom was not gonna kick him out for the benefit of me and my sister, mm-hmm. I just got invested in like the druggy community of high school. I think between my eighth and ninth grade year, I decided like, well, I'm adult now. I have my period now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to um, drink and smoke pot and have sex before mm-hmm. I go to high school. So I'm like ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did all of those things and just hung out with the druggy kids who were all from broken homes, who were all having sex at an early age to feel some kind of love. That yeah, it's all acting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I realize now it's like, even with being blackout drunk or on whatever at that age, my friends like took care of me in a nurturing way that I wasn't getting at home. 
Yeah, totally. I remember like I did, I had, you know, a bad childhood and was like acted out and all that stuff. And I remember my parents always being like, oh, you like your friends better than your family. Like what's with it, you know? And, but like at that time in my life, like that's all, like what parents would understand is when you have a, like a troubled like life, like your friends are all you have. You know what I mean? It's like my friends were very important to me because it's all I had because I didn't have that place at home that other people had, right? And same thing for you. And that's what happens to people. So their friends become like their family. It's like your family. That's the only place yeah. you go where you feel accepted and you could be yourself. So you start acting out. What kind of drugs and stuff were you taking? Um, There was a lot of pot. There mm-hmm. was a lot of alcohol and like... And you were blacking out. Yeah, that's like dumb alcohol. Like, you know, cult 45 double malt. Yeah, anything you can. It's anything you can get your hands on because you can't go pick and choose for yourself, right? Because you can't walk in a in a in a store, right? So it's like you drink whatever you could get. Um, And there was definitely like some coke and some PCP and some ecstasy Mm -hmm. and some acid and shrooms in there too. Um, And I was definitely like stealing money from my parents, or we all all as kids because we were kids. We like get all the change out of the couch cushions and drive totally. to like the ghetto so we could buy a little dime bag of whatever yeah yeah right so how does like your parents your mom or like who who because I mean it sounds like she's kind of like a mess like how does she realize that you need help or did you go to them like who's the one that was like oh god like she's out of control and needs to go to rehab Essentially, on my 15th birthday, my boyfriend at the time was sick of me mooching his pot. And so mm-hmm. he bought me my own bag of pot, which mm-hmm. was the first time I had my own stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that night, my stepdad went through my coat and found it. Mm-hmm. This Peruvian um, guy that is like beating the shit of your mom and is a total alcoholic. He finds a little bit of weed in your... in your Right. And it yeah. was like a bud in a cigarette cellophane. Uh, yeah. But... Um, my parents said, either you have to go get a drug evaluation from a therapist or we're going to go to the cops, mm-hmm. which in retrospect, I mean, I'm glad I went to rehab. It changed my life. I wouldn't be the person I am now, but I was like, I was 15. Like I would have gotten like community service and that was it for like a grandma pot, but I didn't know that. So. Right, right. You think you're going to jail, you know, when you're young <laughs> right. like that. Right. So I went to the evaluation and I told the truth, which again, I didn't know you were allowed to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I told the truth and I like, how much pot are you smoking? I'm like, I don't know, like a joint a day and mm-hmm. on weekends, if somebody has E or somebody has coke or whatever's around like that. But mm-hmm. I was like, to be honest, at that time, all of my friends were doing way heavier shit than me and a lot more. I was right. doing basically the bare minimum to hang out with the druggies. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still like very addict mindset. Um, mm-hmm. And the drug evaluation said, okay, you need to do like 28 days inpatient. Um, and I did. I don't remember much between when they told me and when I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to like juvie girls narcotics rehab how was it um it was really uh it was pivotal Mm -hmm. i mean you Um, said it changed your life for the better but like when you were there actually experiencing it were you like super rebellious to what was going on were you like oh i'm here i'll make the best of it like were the girls cool were they fucking assholes like what was the scene um 
basically you had everybody there from your e-tards to your coke heads to your meth heads mm-hmm. and you know truthfully i think we are all just like from broken homes and couldn't we're trying to fill all our holes with anything but love mm-hmm. um and you know this sounds kind of narcissistic of me but i fancy myself as an intelligent person and i just learned the rules oh you guys want me to like go to meetings and do 12 steps and and have a spiritual awakening i need to do this shit to get out of here mm-hmm, fine mm-hmm. done got it and i became like wing captain i got to assign <laughs> chores i was like in charge of stuff right i know i learned the game right right and yeah. like you said you want to get the hell out you're smart right. i mean that's really yeah. smart it taught me a few things it taught me that um I'm the only person responsible for myself and mm-hmm. for my happiness. It also taught me if you can maintain the appearance of success, you can get away with as crazy as you want to be on the inside. Right. Which might not be such a great thing to learn because <laughs> eventually no, I do believe that 30, that comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Um, but I did have a spiritual awakening. I was kind of anti anything you know, wasn't really raised in a religious household as, mm-hmm. as most people who have addicts. I think my mom was a love addict. Definitely. My dad's a porn addict. and My mm-hmm. stepdad's an alcoholic. So I don't even, I didn't even know what spirituality or a healthy relationship was at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I found Taoism. I found like the yin and the yang, light and dark, like, the duality necessary for unity. I was reading the Tao Te Ching, um, and this, I was like 15 and just a total kind of Taoist nerd. Right, and that became uh, like something that really probably helped you in a difficult time where all you had was yourself to get, get you out of this like difficult time, right? And that that's something that I think really helps. I mean, I it's a good thing for sure. Yeah. And did and you then stick I- with that for just to this day um sort of i think my spirituality has evolved mm-hmm. um but immediately after rehab i you know bought into the people change people places things so mm-hmm. i decided to go to catholic school and i realized i was using drugs to get out of my house so i ended up getting three part-time jobs mm-hmm. to fill my time up um and in that, I saved, I also realized that I don't have to listen to my parents if I don't rely on them for finances. Right. So within the next two years, I saved enough money to move out of the house and to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grades improved. I at the when I went into rehab, I was my plan was like going to Votech as a graphic designer, and like college isn't for me. Um, and my SAT scores were shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and two years after rehab, I, I you have to apply to one college to like pass the guidance counselor thing to get out of high school. And I applied and I got in and I went. Um, so I had sort of turned around. But yeah. at the time when I was right, I was four months out of rehab, I met... Um, what would be my high school sweetheart and the man that I married. Right. And, and you were with him for a very long time. You said, what is it? 15 to 28. Yeah. And so you, when I, you got um, married at 15 or you met him at 15 and got married a couple years later. I met him at 15. I moved into him and his mom's house when I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
we got engaged when I was 17 mm-hmm. when I moved in and essentially we lived together until I was 28. Right. Uh, and we, that's a whole other story. Well, and I can't go into all of that, but he essentially was in the, in the 12 step kind of mentality. He became my higher power. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden there was this family that cared that we had like we cooked dinner together and had family dinners and how are you and how was your day and we planned vacations together it was like what I think a normal family was supposed to be Mm -hmm. Um, him and his mom provided that for me yeah that's great I mean this sounds all sounds like like an up time for you between 15 and 28 right I mean does at some point it go sort of downhill Um, I, uh, did a, completed a bachelor's and a master's degree Mm -hmm. and I decided I wanted to go to graduate school Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of a nerd and I'm in math and science fields. So it seemed like a good idea. And I love doing like being out in the field and taking data and stuff. And so I realized I needed a PhD to keep doing that. So I applied to all these different programs and I got into seven of them. And I got invited and paid to interview and travel to all of them. And my fiance at the time um, was going to come with me and we were going to, he wanted to move to a big city. Mm -hmm. So he came to me to visit with me to visit the university of Chicago, UCLA um, and the university of Washington. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up interviewing at a lot of other schools as well. And one of the smaller schools in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, according to him, who's from New York City. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, as soon as I arrived, they said, oh, you have two fellowships. You have a full ride, everything paid for. You'll make a salary to go to school. And if you join us here your second semester, you'll be living in Barcelona, Spain, doing field measurements for the whole semester. Wow. So, so like, you were well, like, Oh, I want to be in this small little town. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and he was like, okay, like, I don't want you to choose your second choice for me. Like, let's do it. And I ended up, uh, then moving to Boulder, Colorado, which as you know, is not that small of a town. Yeah, no way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, as I was like looking for houses and this and that for us, he informed me like, Oh, I'm not going with you. Oh. <laughs> and at the time he wasn't in school, didn't have a job. And he like moved into his best friend's apartment in Astoria with like, a blow up mattress. Right. And I moved to Boulder and that really broke my heart. Like, uh, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. He didn't, he never told you until like, I mean, like when you were making all your plans and everything, like, I mean, how soon after you had said, Hey, I'm like moving there. Did he say, Oh, by the way, I'm not going with you. Um, essentially in the whole discussions, it was a we discussion. Yeah. Um, and, and he was the one who said like, well, let's just go to Boulder. Right. So and for a while, was, he was really sort of alluding to the fact that he was going with you, but he must have changed his mind on at some point and then just informed you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I moved out there and we were in a long distance relationship for nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up cheating on him within nine months um, with another guy in my program mm-hmm. who was also in a long distance engagement. And we thought it was like safe to hang out with each other because we were both going to do the same thing. And um, 
And we ended up getting drunk one night and, like, banging all night long to the point where, like, the futon was flipped over and the bed was in the middle of the floor and you'd wake up in the kitchen. Right. Well, I um, always talk about how, like, cheating sex is always, like, really good. <laughs> it, Yeah. And it is. And, you know, I hadn't had an orgasm with my partner for maybe, like, a year prior to that. So mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. And your sexuality really develops between the age of 15 and 25 or however old I was then. Wait, that but guy had this- never made you come in the last year? Like he had made you come the whole time and then the last year he hadn't? Not, or- I, like I, we never really had that much sexual chemistry, to be honest with you. It was always this like forced kind of like, well, this is what people who are dating do mm-hmm. for both of us. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that's like how it was. And right. I had sex before I was, before I went to rehab, I was like into taking our, like, I want to live in infamy for this person right. thing. Um, and this was the first, he was the first guy I dated that wasn't a virgin. He was the first guy who, I think we waited like six months after saying we were boyfriend and girlfriend to have sex. And so I just thought that's how like relationship sex was because I'd never been in one before. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Until, you know, then I cheat on him and have, like, this amazing, crazy, whoa situation. Right, with this new guy who's also cheating on his girl, long-distance girl, right? Did you guys wind up dating, you and that guy? Or well, what happens after the cheating? Like, do you tell? Like, what? So what I, this guy, the guy um, I cheated with, he, like, the next day he... Uh, moved to Greenland for the summer because he was a, a researcher too and I had a breakdown and told my fiance mm-hmm. and, and what, was, what a second though I mean you said you were drinking like when you got out of rehab did you get totally sober or did you just quit drugs and you were still drinking like what was your deal I was totally sober for about four or five months mm-hmm. um, and then slowly I started smoking some pot um and then slowly started like drinking like wine or like fruity mixed drinks or something like that. Right. So you kind of like took it easy. You thought you were like controlling it. Right. Okay. And and to be, you know, t- honest, it my my like the last six months before I got clean again just recently, it was really controlled right it, it, it worked like me you were okay it didn't it didn't mm-hmm. look the same right um and i think you said in another episode like you know you have a problem when you stop and all your shit starts and that's kind of how it's been for me right right um, right so maybe you just well we'll get to that when you have your breakdown in the story but so but let's right. keep to the Anyways, chronological so, order so um, you wind up telling your guy that you cheated on him but it was also like in graduate school then there was a lot more drinking i drink a lot more in graduate school than before mm-hmm. because i'm new i just moved across the country everyone parties in college too just the way that yeah it and it's like happy hours and all that kind of stuff um so it did get to the point where i was you know having more than three drinks like every other night with roommates and friends and it wasn't it didn't feel the same as using drugs when I was Mm -hmm. a traumatized teenager. So I didn't think twice about it. Yeah. Um, You're having fun. I got really, really drunk to the point where I hysterically confessed my cheating on sins to some friends. Um, And that was just, I mean, that is one example, a good example of me just 
like actually having an alcohol problem because I think we were had a couple friends over and I just got trashed. I was drinking at this thing I had done. Mm-hmm. This fuck up I had done. And I think I like tried to make tea and like left the burner on, like melted the teapot. I had somehow propped the back door open and like let my two cats who were indoor cats outside. Right. Like you were a mess, but you were blacked out, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was so hysterical that like my friends found me with like no pants on, like puking <laughs> on the floor between my bathroom and my bedroom. Like, right. Just totally and that's awesome. when you confessed to them that you've been cheating on your husband with these people, this guy. Right. And they were his friends. <laughs> they were whose friends? The guy I was cheating with. Okay. Right, right. So they so were they like, Holy shit, I can't believe he's cheating on his wife with you? I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> but how does it get back to your husband? So I just couldn't live with myself. I think it was probably three weeks after I told my friends that yeah. I was like, Okay, I have to tell him. So I told him and we decided to break up. Mm-hmm. And then I had like a summer of being 25 and single in Boulder. And I was biking everywhere and like got addicted to yoga and like going out to all these, you know, electronic music shows and just totally doing the like Boulder, you know, drinking and single thing that I had never done before because I was, you know, in a relationship from 15 till 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and my and my um, ex fiance um, flew out when I didn't want him to, and essentially gave me an ultimatum and said, "Either I drop my life and I move here, or we never speak again." Right. And I said, "Well, I'm willing to try if you're willing to try too." So um, we decided that we weren't in a committed relationship until. He moved out there. I was going on a field project in the fall. So we were going to plan it during that. And he was going to move some point after that. Um, Because I hadn't had an orgasm with him and suddenly did with this dude and was single all summer. I was doing all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. Behind his back or until he got there. (laughs) Right. And we kind of agreed like, oh, we're not in a serious relationship till he moves out. So I took Mm -hmm. that as like free reign. Right. To have fun knowing I was going on this field project and then he was eventually going to move here. I like had sex like every night of the week with probably somebody different up until like the day I left. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was on this field project, he took it upon himself to surprise me and move out without me knowing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which right. felt kind of violating. Well, um, how much sooner was it? Essentially we were going to start discussing like how and when and timelines when I got back. And he just took it upon himself to move out and got with my roommates and moved out without me knowing it. Right. Um, he must have known there was other dick like getting involved with him. <laughs> well, <laughs> he he to stop that because I was I was semi transparent. I was like, okay, well, like I've been kind of seeing a few people. Oh my god! I want to do this with you, and he hadn't. He oh my god! You made him so crazy. He came running. You should <laughs> see. This is where you weren't so smart. You should have not told him anything. <laughs> then he would have stayed home, <laughs> and you would have had a couple more months of pleasure <laughs> without him. So. He moves out. I get back in like October. He'd been there since, you know, the end of September. And within six weeks of him living there and us just trying to figure out if we could work, Mm -hmm. he decided to get a construction job, even though he got into a graduate degree program that was going to start in a few months. 
he just wanted to have a job, get some money, like contribute. Um, and he ended up falling off of a three-story building and breaking his spine. You, you're kidding. Like, does he wind up like in a wheelchair quadriplegic? He is to this day, technically a paraplegic. You are kidding. And so he got rushed into spine fusing surgery. I lived in the hospital with him for over a month. Um, his employer told him on, in the ER that, oh, you're an independent contractor. I don't have workers comp for you. Um, we got a bunch of lawyers in the hospital. They rejected our case. Um, it, it was pretty bad. I mean, even going into the surgery, the doctor said, like, we don't know. Like, we can't give him enough drugs to numb what's going on, the pain. Right. We don't know if we could go in there and, like, just us going in there could kill him. We don't have no idea what's happening. Was he able to talk at this point? He was. He did not go unconscious, and he could still, like, kind of move his hands. But, Mm -hmm. like, that was it. Oh, my God. And he shattered his L1. I don't know what that means, but that's bad, I'm assuming. (laughs) Yeah, and a piece of it got, like, wedged into his spinal, his nerve spinal column. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically bruised and severed nerves to, like, below the knee. Oh, God. And so he never recouped from that. Um, Obviously. Like, he can walk now, but, like, you can kind of tell. Well, what's the difference between power? What's a paraplegic? Like, what's the definition? Like, quadriplegic um, is like you're in a wheelchair, you can't move. Like, that's the deal. Like, quadriplegic, you said he's paraplegic. What does that What does that mean? So he has, uh, I think he's got 42% full body impairment. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, paraplegic means a number of muscles in your two lower extremities, your legs, no longer function. So he's got to um, use like those those crutches, those kind of things, right? And he's got those things on his legs. No, he's he's what they call a walker in the community. So he learned how to walk, um, but he like kind of walks a little funny. But yeah, but the fact that I mean, I'd rather walk funny than not walk at all. Like that's amazing that he was able to do that. Yeah, he made a really big recovery. Um, it was it was pretty intense. I essentially took a semester off of grad school. You're living on my I could imagine. Loans. That's hardcore. I mean, that's not something that typically happens in people's lives. You know what I mean? Like it's not something that most people will ever have to deal with, you know, whether it's them or somebody close to them, let alone their husband, you know. Well, and he had I mean, at the time we weren't even engaged. He had just moved out 6 weeks beforehand. Oh, so you um, wind up marrying him after this? You're not even married at the time? No. Not yet? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and none of his family came out. Um, he had just moved out, and I had no f- What do you mean his family? Here. Like, he's the, the mother that let you live, that took you in. Like, she didn't even come to see her son? When he's, nope. Nope. You, you got to be kidding me. That's, I don't even uh, want to get into that. That's a little weird. Because- was there a reason for it? Does she not have money? I don't really know exactly why. That's um, really sad. And pe- people ask me years later, like, don't you resent her? I'm like, not really. Like, I just did. People are like, oh, my God, you're such a good woman for sticking by him. And I was like, I didn't really have a choice. Like, it was, you know, this like this happens and you got to do it. But in typical sort of upbringing as a caretaker, you don't even ask yourself how you feel until that person is like stably alive. Right. You went into that mode. I mean, it's weird. It's a, it's like, you know, if you really think about your life and we all have patterns, right? And it's just like this, that's like all of a sudden you're back into your pattern. Like that's who you, that's who you 
sort of become, right? That that's what you right. step up to. You're the person taking care of everybody else and not even thinking about yourself, right? So in that mode, this guy, this poor guy doesn't even have his family at the time. So you give up all your stuff and it's just like you're, you know, back to being 13 and taking care of your family again. It's the same shit, right? In a way. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because he didn't have insurance, he essentially got released uh, a month after being in the trauma ward to the care of no doctors. And oh, I, was I can't like, even handle shit like that. That's terrible. So I you, like, you wind up primary, like living with a caregiver. Yeah, I was his primary caregiver. It was during the whole like Obamacare debates in the Senate. Right. I almost wrote like the Huffington Post a whole article about how like, here's this guy who's 27 years old. Right. This is America. He, his employer illegally does not have workers comp. And here they're saying, Oh, like, yeah, I can't, I can't, say get, it. I can't get into that kind of stuff, but this is what's so <laughs> fascinating. And I don't like talking about stuff like it's so complicated. What I love right. though, is that like, you know, you're the person that is his primary caretaker and you and him together, like, I mean, this guy had a really positive outcome, like better than most people, like you said. I mean, you know, so obviously, you know, you were a great caretaker and he was super strong considering he didn't have many people around him supporting him that he was able to learn how to walk again and really come through it. Not, you know, not 100% okay, but a lot better than probably most people would, you know, having suffered the same sort of injury, right? Totally. But he does live in constant pain. I think below his knees mm-hmm. are, it feels like when one of your limbs falls asleep and it's like waking up and it feels like pins and needles. Right. All like the his, time for him. Right. So when do you wind up marrying him? So that was 2009, 2011 and we're still living together. Were you still cheating on him or like, let me ask you this. Was this like dick working the whole time or did it not work? Like, was that a muscle funny- that was affected? The funny thing is after his injury, he was like way more sensitive. Like he would last zero amount of time in bed. But let um, me ask you this. Like when he was like sort of in bed and couldn't even walk and stuff, like would you, you know, have sex with him? Because like, you know, he's horny. I mean, right. Um, We would, but maybe like three times over that whole period. Right. You, right. Okay. So you, you, you helped him out in that way too. <laughs> Right. And, you know, what's really sick and twisted is that um, the first week we had moved back home from the hospital, I had a conference for my research in San Francisco. So I went and I ended up drunkenly hooking up with the same guy that I cheated on him with. (laughs) I hope you never went back and told him that. Uh, Please don't say you did. No, I don't think he knows. Yeah, he did. He should never know. What's Stop. interesting, is poor that guy. Leave him alone. Late, uh, later, yeah. Um, me and my husband and this guy, his the guy I cheated on with. Yeah. He he got married. His fiance moved out, and the four of us share a duplex together. Oh my god! And your guy knew that you were with this guy at one point. Everybody right? knew, except for this guy's wife. Right, right, right. But it was cool. Were you cheating on him even then, or did you did did it um, eventually end between you two? Essentially, um, this that guy and I did not sleep together again until like three months ago. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Just don't please don't ever tell you that other guy. Like, there's no reason for him to know. Right, right. No, I know. Um, I so my ex and I essentially after we first broke up when I first cheated on him, I'd never had an orgasm with him again. 
even even so, though he became super sensitive and maybe like better and better, or maybe it was it wasn't good because he was too quick at that point. You know, I in my opinion, every man either you're born with it or you need a good woman to teach you what you're doing. And since I started dating him when I was 15, I never taught him what to do. Mm-hmm. So he was clueless. He um, just wasn't good, or do you think maybe you just didn't have chemistry with him? We just didn't have chemistry, and he never like had to be good you know I wasn't gonna like leave him because he wasn't good I was just cheating on him right so about (laughs) about every three months I would like just like get drunk and end up screwing somebody Um, just to get it's just just because you were just to get your needs met I mean that was like it was a purely a sexual thing because he wasn't satisfying those needs but you stayed with him I guess it's hard like to walk away from somebody who like has been through something like that physically right like I mean emotionally you probably really loved him as a person right Um, he definitely was my best friend my roommate part of my family I'd been with him for 10 years Mm -hmm. but my mom said this after we got divorced she said you know as soon as I heard he got injured her her first thought was, oh, no, you're going to stay with him because you have no option now. And and the truth is, I didn't even after essentially in 2011, we decided to get married because we said, well, what the hell? We've been together for 10 years. We made it through all this shit. Let's throw a party. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But at that so point, we, you're, you're not having like good sex with him. Like you're cheating on him all the time. Oh, like, yeah. I right. was living in that fantasy world of. Oh, only when fill in the blank happens, then it'll be good. Only when we get our own house and get married, yeah, we'll have awesome married people sex. Yeah, newsflash, like, that's like a woman thing. Women, I don't think men have this as much as women, but we have like, like even if there's a 1% hope chance that something could change or things could get better, like we hold on to that. You know, for yeah. a, a lot of times for like years, women could like live off of 1% hope for years right you see it all the time I think it's just in our DNA because we all have it you know so you were there hopeful that something was going to change but cheating him on what how did you guys get divorced like what was the thing that happened that gave you the courage to be like you know what this really isn't working um it was kind of twofold I had finished my PhD and was getting ready to postdoc somewhere. And he essentially said, look, I'm not following you. I followed you here. Like, this next one's on me. Yeah, and look and, where that got him. No, I'm and my PhD is in a very specified field. Right. There's like three places in the U.S. I could work. And it's all kind of academic-based. Um, and then also at the same time, somebody who I was in a spiritual circle with years prior came back into my life. And this guy's like, in his younger 40s has done all sorts of buddhist meditation and essentially we got into like a spiritual tantric sexual relationship oh for your poor guy he was history (laughs) and i was just like oh my god like this is possible like i can see the birth of the universe in an orgasm and like melt with a person and right he just this guy just did you know he would like draw me a bath while cooking dinner and you know, almost just the, I've never been. And you were doing this like on the side, right? Totally. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you wind up meeting somebody else is really a part of what gave you the courage to leave someone that you really connected with. I connected with in a spiritual way, but at no point did I like want to be this guy's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. But you also (laughs) connected with him sexually too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point for me, it was like, it is worth the risk. Like the more and more things I get when I say, oh, if fill in the blank happens, 
the more lonely and depressed I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to the point where he and I lived in a mansion, an open space. We had a master suite and a balcony and, you know, a sunken tub and all of the things. And I felt more alone than I ever had. Who had had the man? Who got that? Did he get a lot of money in a settlement? Were you making the cash? Like, who had that? Who was able to get that mansion, quote unquote? (laughs) Um, I had become um, a contractor. Um, and made decent money and then he with his settlement money which he eventually found a lawyer that how much did he get like millions hundred like the six figures like a high six figures he got like ninety thousand dollars that's it because colorado is not a union state that's it ninety thousand i mean that's not even like a year's worth of cash right so he paid off all of his student loans Mm -hmm. and then he bought all of the equipment to start a record studio Okay. So he runs a record label now. We rented this huge house. Is he successful? He's sort of successful. Okay, Uh, that's cool. um, So we rented this huge house, and the whole basement was like a recording studio and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's how that all happened. So you Um, had all that, and you're still, like, not happy because you weren't happy inside. I mean, like, and that's, like, you know, a a lot of people, I think, come to that realization that, like, the things outside of yourself don't make you happy. It's like you have to be happy within. And uh, you didn't, you didn't, you hadn't found that yet in your life. I mean, you were probably happy with, like, your career and all that stuff, right? But emotionally, right? It just wasn't, Right. you weren't there And it just felt like that same, like, I was, like, sticking through it to, like, not hurt somebody else yeah like i said those are your pattern Mm -hmm. you're you're still that 15 you know that that little girl i mean it's happened before you're 15 you're still that little girl taking care of everybody but yourself right Mm -hmm. so eventually we got in some stupid fight because whatever we don't need to get into i actually refused to have sex with him i think because it was like traumatizing and he kicked me to the spare bedroom Mm -hmm. and like a day later he's like come back and i'm like fuck you you don't tell me what to do Right. And so I never came back and he started online dating before we ever talked about being separated or allowed to do that. Well, whatever. Um, I mean, at this point, you've been cheating on him so much, like give the guy a break. (laughs) So I moved out. Yeah. um, I mean, that was lucky for you. Like that was probably the best thing he did because you really needed him to be a douchebag for you to be able to say, (laughs) I'm leaving you. Right. Because as long as he was being cool, like you had no reason like you couldn't. So that was like the that was like very good for you. Right. And, you know, the funny thing is, though, he within he basically within a month, he got the first girl he met on OkCupid pregnant. Oh, wow. Good. Because he didn't know. Good for him. He didn't he didn't know the rules. It was like the third woman he's ever slept with in his whole life. Right. Well, you didn't teach him. Remember, you said you blame it on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, is he happy with that girl and his baby, his child? I want to say yes, but. Like, he only found out they were pregnant when he went to break up with her, break it off after, like, a month of dating. Mm-hmm. But they and stayed together, like, I'm assuming, because she had the baby? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got his own whole history. Like, his dad was a heroin addict and left him. Oh, right. So, he has another, so maybe he's dating another you. She's probably cheating behind his back, but she stays with him, well, you know. Well, she <laughs> hates me. She, send, she sends me hate messages every now and then, even though I've never met this woman. Right. Um. Yeah. So, anyway, so let's get to you because yeah. Mm-hmm. Somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you um, leave him, right? How do you start to become like a polyamorous person that you meet this guy that fucking dumped so you? I moved to Tucson. Mhm. 
And I was online dating. I hadn't really been like actually single, single um, ever before. And I'm 28 or 29 at the time, 28 somewhere. And I get on OkCupid. They do that little personality quiz thing. And it turned out like my top five highest matches were all polyamorous guys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, like, okay, I don't, I have this thing where I don't know who I am sexually. So you let OK Cupid decide. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who I am sexually. I don't know if I'm into men or women. I don't know if I like getting beat up. I don't, I don't know. Because you have been doing all those things. I mean, I feel like we're not going to have time to get into all of it. But like, is when you say like, I didn't know if I was into men or women or getting beat up. Because like, is that all those the things that you had tried in all those years of you cheating? No, I hadn't. Oh, okay. But maybe they were on your mind. Well, it was, I just, yeah, I didn't know. Okay. Um, so I, um, since most of the guys I matched with were in the polyamory community in Tucson, I was like, okay, like maybe I am. And like, I was in this place where like, I don't want to put all my love and trust in one human being. Like I've done that, mm-hmm. like life after the American dream. Mm-hmm. And I have the science side and I have this artistic side and, you know, maybe I need two boyfriends. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though, like, I mean, I would say that, like, your relationship with that guy was not the American dream. It was a (laughs) relationship that was never that great. You're with somebody that you probably really liked as a, like, a person, but you weren't really in real romantic love with him probably ever. And you never really had real intimacy with him because you always had other people in your life. So you kind of were polyamorous the whole time (laughs) in a way. He just didn't know it, you know. Right, Um, totally. So it's just like, you know, you were sort of figuring yourself out for the first time. I mean, like maybe, you know, you you weren't like what my point is that it's not like you had this like amazing relationship with a person that lasted for 15 years. That was like really great and everything that you could imagine, you know, because some people do have that. Right. And then you got out of it and were like, wow, like uh, maybe that's not for me. You know, you were like in a bad relationship. So, of course, you're going to say like, hey, if that's what relationships are. Right. Because at that point, that's what you, that's all you've ever experienced. Like, let me try something totally different. Right. I Mm -hmm. will say, though, we had the, people had the perception that we had the perfect relationship. Of course. This is because everybody looks at things from the survey. Nobody talks to people like, like I'm talking to you now. You know what I mean? Like nobody's interviewing people. And, you know, that's what's so fucked up about social media nowadays. You know, people are like killing themselves because they think they're looking at everyone else and thinking everyone else is so happy. And nobody really knows the truth. Most people's life, you know, is up and down. And it's a lot of times it's not as great as it seems, you know, and that's just the truth. But, you know, everyone's putting on a fucking facade and people, People buy into that sad but because like I said I think a lot of people feel less than because of that because people aren't so right. honest right you, you know you could have maybe that relationship could have been two years if you guys were both honest with yourself that this wasn't really right but it lasted like what 50 almost 15 years you know right right oh yeah and I should have just I don't know. I didn't give myself permission to have my own feelings. Well, that's because, you know, listen, the the sad thing is for you is that, you know, you, you had learned that a long time ago. I mean, the problem, you know, that was just you living out your story, right? That you learned as a really young girl, like that's your issue. You know, that's your thing. Totally. You know, how are you going to and when whenever we're in our thing and everyone has a different story that they sort of was told to them when they were little and then they fucking play it out, you know, and whenever you're in that thing, it's really, 
really super hard to get out of you know what I mean no matter how totally. it feels even if it feels the slightly depressed or what you know it's like um we all sort of say it. and like maybe I didn't stay with one person living out my story I did like uh, 50 guys but it was the same <laughs> thing it was no different than yours I mean I was in the same fucking thing over and over again yeah. you know what I mean doing the same thing so you were still you know trying to uh, you know sort of do what you did when you were younger so anyway right. so you, so but, now, yeah. I I lived in Tucson for a year, dated a bunch of dudes from the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing super panned out. I moved back to Colorado for another job. Um, and in Tucson, I instantly made friends. And there's this whole polyamorous community of like young 30-something attractive people. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Denver and I just didn't really make friends. And I was just like Tinder dating myself into whatever and that also meant a lot of drinking Mm -hmm. um because they would go hand in hand like i would have three four or five drinks on a new tinder date and sleep with a guy even though like i didn't even like the dude Mm -hmm. it was to like feel valuable or worthy um and i met rob through that um and he pursued me and Um, me and his girlfriend had actually been friends on Facebook from a long time ago when I lived in Boulder Mm -hmm. and he's like, how do you know my girlfriend? And, you know, he asked me out and, you know, pursued dating me as more than friends with benefits. Um, and during that time I was, I think one night I had like three Tinder dates in one night. And by the end of the night, I was drunk as fuck and drove to whoever's house and fuck them and never talked to them again. And turns out they happen to be a roommate of another ex-boyfriend. And that made it more interesting. Um, and I, I slept again. Like this guy who I cheated on my ex-husband with visited. He lives in the UK now. Visited and we ended up screwing each other and. I think the last couple months before I recently got clean, I had at least two different occasions had had sex with a guy who was in a committed monogamous relationship. And I was good friends with the woman, like mm-hmm. knew her. We had hung out. And was it because you were wasted? Like, it, was it something that it you was, would have done if you weren't drinking or was it were you? Drunk? I don't I, w- I don't think I would have done it if I wasn't drinking. Right. No. Mm-hmm. But I also think I was just like. I had essentially relapsed when I moved back to Denver, Mm -hmm. I think, because I was doing whatever I could to not be alone, to not be with myself. I was, and it was the power thing. Like Mm -hmm. I mentioned before I went to rehab, I was taking all these virginities. So, you know, now it was like, oh, like these guys have way more to lose than me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I'm this like secret person that has all the things to offer them that their relationship doesn't. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, it was like your way of sort of feeling like it was your way of giving yourself like some sort of phony sort of strength that you were like maybe more together than you really were. Right. And that was your way of sort of right mind fucking yourself, really. And I had I think at the time while I was dating Rob, I was probably seeing maybe like four other people on and Mm -hmm. off. But Rob was like the longest and most consistent in like closest person I had gotten with. Um, and in the beginning of March, I think three or four, diff- I got broken up with by three or four different guys. Mm-hmm. And I was the other woman in all of these relationships. Somehow I organized it 
so that I was the not girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. All of these. I know that. Yeah, I've been I've been in that situation before. And I was keeping everybody at arm's length because I didn't want them to get close to me. But then when they left, I still felt abandoned, even though I didn't even let them feel like I liked them. Yeah, you were just torturing yourself. Um, and then Rob broke up with me, and Rob was the <laughs> only person that I wasn't drinking with because he's a sober person. Mm-hmm. And the love of an addict is the best drug ever. What do you mean, him? From him? Yeah, because I do think like he was by the. I called him out right about when you guys did the show and said, look, since you've been dating your girlfriend, you've stopped going to meetings. You don't have a sponsor. Like I was just getting on him and giving him tough love. Like you're not working your program. But what do you and mean by I, his love was so powerful? Is that what you were saying? Was, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like I, he was the one guy I was with who we were not drinking. So, you know, it was re- like I felt like, and he is as fucked up as a past as I do. So it was like we could be real with each other. And I think in our lives, we were the only people not lying to each other. <laughs> and we were lying to everyone else. Right. He was kind of lying to you, too, by the way. Remember, we did talk about how yes. he was lying. <laughs> he was, yeah. Yeah, I think he he was lying. Yeah, I think he was he's a little bit of like I said, (laughs) and you know, I like him. He was on my show like but you know, listen, everybody when they date somebody all their shit comes out right. So it seems like, you know, he was, uh, you know, playing you a little bit. And I don't think he was as honest as you think. And I think sometimes like a people players play us yeah. whatever you want to fucking call them, you know they can be seem intoxicating like you know your poor paraplegic right. guy you know it doesn't seem so exciting because like <laughs> maybe he's a little more real a lot of times like these kind of people that are so like i said intoxicating a lot of times it's because they're full of shit on some level right and that was the power thing with him it's like i know that his girlfriend is jealous i know that we're having unprotected sex and you're not telling her and you're the only guy that like i don't have to get fucked up to fuck so you know right so you work that into your mind as thinking like wow like i like this is really special and this is really mean something and then when he he was just the perfect drug yeah and then when he turns around and he dumps you it's just like your drug is taken away it's just like now you're you're oh i was just as bad the week after he broke up with me i was like not getting out of my bathroom not eating crying on my kitchen floor it was like it was like right before i went to rehab levels of like depression and withdrawal Mm -hmm. and i realized i think the day right after he broke up with me i hung out with my girlfriends and i probably drank three bottles of wine and drove home Mm-hmm. And I think I probably text him some fucked up shit too. <laughs> and the next day I realized, holy shit, like I know I can't get if if I drink tomorrow, I'm going to get on Tinder and fuck somebody new tomorrow. Right. And that is when I was like, okay, that's it. I'm getting an AA. I'm getting in the sex addicts. Like clearly I am a sex and love addict. I don't know which comes first, alcohol or fucking, but if I'm drinking, I'm going to fuck somebody new. Yeah, it's the drinking. Like, that's what I realized for myself when I quit. The first time I had to deal with some sort of emotional thing that I couldn't deal with, I immediately, without even thinking, went into my phone. I remember specifically, I could see myself in the cab exactly where I was. And I'm looking at my phone and I'm looking through to find the guys that I would sleep with. And I remember thinking like, but I could never sleep with any of them if I was sober, right? Because I wasn't into any, you know what I mean? And then 
I, this feeling of like claustrophobia came over me because I'm like, how am I going to get away from this feeling of being vulnerable, of being jealous, of not feeling okay with the situation, of feeling all kinds of bad things. And that's when I really realized like, oh my God, like all that screwing and all that drink, it was just because it was my way of like, you know, if your arm hurts, you bang your knee, right? It's just like, it was like creating <laughs> some yeah. other thing to happen so I could get away from pain or any kind of vulnerability or anything that, you know, ultimately felt bad. And that's what addiction I think is uh, about most of the time. And you, like I've said on my podcast to people and you've heard is like that you don't know that you are doing that. The only way you could tell is when you quit everything and put it aside and when shit comes up, like how do you feel? How do you handle a bad fucking day or a breakup or the devastating news or like a total jealous d- feeling? You know, what do you, what, what happens to you? Like normal person that is like solid within themselves could be okay with that it doesn't mean that they don't cry it doesn't mean that they don't get upset it doesn't mean that they don't feel terrible it just means that they could handle those feelings and addicts can't that's the difference that's that's where i am now i have i think like 42 days clean yeah but wait you said something really funny in your email and i wanted to be like oh please put on some makeup you're like i'm like drug and sex and makeup free there's no reason to go makeup free okay I actually wore makeup this weekend. For Good the first for time. you. Don't go and makeup was, free. Don't do that to yourself. It was my half birthday and I went to like a gala and I was like, okay, I have to. But for me, it's a gateway. Like I realized with the sex stuff, it was if, if I don't feel comfortable around this person, less I put on my face, it's probably not a healthy dynamic. Right. I get it. I get it. It was a part of like your facade, right? It was a part of the cosmos. It was a part right. of, and like, listen, I have to say as somebody that went totally sober, I've been sober for, it's going to be 15 years this year, I think 15 or 16 or four, I think 15, <laughs> but I, I, you know, the first year and I've talked about this, like, you know, because for me it was like drinking, it wasn't just a drinking. It was like putting on the makeup and the slutty clothes and going out and all the tension right. from guys and all the feeding of my ego. And is like, when I took away all that, I'm like, what do I have and who the fuck am I? And I remember one night because and I stayed home for a year. I just didn't even go out because I didn't know what the fuck to do. And it was okay. It was kind of relaxing because I had been partying so much. But like (laughs) I remember one night putting on the music really loud and like taking out my old clothes and like putting on a lot of makeup and putting on one of my slutty outfits and like looking in the mirror and being horrified because like I look like a fucking (laughs) tranny hooker. And I had no place to go. And I realized like, I can't be this person anymore. And if I can't be this person, who the fuck can I be? And how can I do that? And it's so devastating. And it's such a hard thing to get through. And I think that's when why so many addicts run back and have relapses because you hit moments like that being sober. And, uh, you know, and those are the hard times. And that's really hard to get through because you don't have but you know, over time, you figure things out. So I get the makeup thing. Eventually, you'll go back to wearing makeup. If you don't well, and I'm, I'm in this place where it hasn't haven't been sober that long. But I also think because of my my history and like knowing sobriety and mm-hmm. and this relapse was very different than what I thought a relapse was going to be or like substance I mean it was mostly alcohol and sex right and it, it you know it's just a little different than before but um I'm already starting to change and I mm-hmm. think I've recently hung out with a guy who I was seeing and I'm not now and it was just this like I'm not, I don't even like you I, I don't know who I am, but I don't want to do anything with mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with like I'm this weekend, I was like grieving 
who I was because I with this gala I had a couple options you know I could have done the big vamp makeup and all that and I did and looked at myself like I can't do this unless I'm drinking and I'm definitely not drinking that's the whole thing right wash my face (laughs) you know it's good if you take your time now to uh sort of stay clean, you know, stay away from that nonsense, try to figure yourself out and, you know, you'll be a lot happier. Mm, I hope so. No, you do. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever said. What do you mean you hope so? Like you, of course, (laughs) that's the way that if you stay, like it will 100%. That's a true fact. And that's like the great thing. It's like working out. Like if you work out, like your body will get better. Like there's, you could only get better. Like you will be calm. It's true. I really, I promise you that. So just keep doing it. But like when you say, I hope so, that scares me a little bit. I mean, I, I I do believe it and that's why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, I think my, my current problems, well, all of them, but um, right now I'm just having a hard time giving myself permission to have a good day. Like recently, one of my friends asked like, oh, how was your day? And I was like, eh, I'm like, well, what happened? And it's like, oh, I actually got a really great evaluation at my job. I got, had got my 30 day chip and found a new meeting and found a new yoga class. And she's like, well, then why was your day? Eh? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess that's kind of like as good as a day can get really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you're a little depressed, you know, I mean, like, listen, you just get like, it's, there's a loss. Like when you get sober, like you, 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 it's like a, it's like a death of a huge part of you, you know, and it's depressing. It's slightly depressing. So, I mean, are you like, you can't, when you get on top of yourself, like you're feeling like kind of depressed and you're doing all this work and then you're being terrible because you're up to yourself because you're like putting yourself down for not being able to have a good day. Like give yourself a fuck break maybe you won't have a good day for a little while you know and that's okay you know but you'll eventually have good days you know it's just the way that it is you're going through a lot it's a difficult time true you know so I mean for anybody to say like you're not having a good day like what's your problem they don't fucking get it you know what I mean I wouldn't (laughs) ask you that because I understand but maybe somebody else doesn't really know you know what I mean Um, so you're just you're going through a a difficult time but like you'll make it through and don't be you know don't add to your problems right now because you're dealing with enough do you know what I'm saying and that's actually something I even told myself today because you know fucking Facebook I was on Facebook and like seeing like trying to get involved in other people's shit <laughs> like why are you doing that you have yeah, but this enough is, stuff <laughs> yeah and that's why staying sober will really help you really realize it could, I, to me one of the biggest differences when i'm a sober person is like i just don't do drama i'm not interested in it it's not interesting to me i'm not attracted to it I, in fact like it's like it's irritating to me you know and i think that um you know that's what that is but when you are an addict like that kind of stuff is always very um appealing you know and you're mm-hmm. going to want to go there because it's a way of like distracting yourself but try to f- maybe figure out like better ways to distract yourself I don't know I-, I like to do puzzles like there was like weird things that I did to like just get my mind like off of things you know try to figure out like the weird things that like sort of help you get distracted and distract yourself as opposed to like sort of like you know trying to use negative things to distract you yeah or just like digging up like I think it's just this 
like I want attention. So I will like. Yeah, well, you're used to that. It's the way you fed your ego for so long and your ego is being starved and you just have to be okay with like you have to let your ego starve. And that's gonna That's what's going to feel really not right with you. And those are the that's that feeling I'm telling you about that you're not going to yeah. feel good at all. But you have to fucking starve it. Just starve that ego. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's okay. I did it. You'll be fine. You'll be, and then you'll get it back a little bit in a different way. But like just starve it. <laughs> oh, my. Do you know what I mean? So listen, I have to go because my baby has to go take a bath. But like, you know, listen, because these are like I told this last girl I talked to, like when you have a conversation with somebody who's sober and you're trying to get sober, it's like a meeting. Like that's like having an A meeting. So if you absolutely want to call back because like three months from now or even like a month from now, like you're you want to have another talk about it. I love this kind of topic for my podcast. I think it's a very common issue. And we talked about a lot of things on this, you know, but if you ever want to just talk about the quitting drinking thing again, and you want to call in, let me know. I'll, I'll always have you back on whenever and keep me posted. Awesome. I will. Thank you for okay. taking time with me today. Yeah, no, it was great. Good luck with everything. And like I said, definitely keep me posted. Even if you don't want to come back on and let me know that you're still clean. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Good luck, Marie. All right. Bye. 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 Do you have a story, lifestyle, or situation you can't talk about to anyone, to anyone? Or do you just want to let your freak flag fly and be on the show? Well, Strictly Anonymous wants to hear from you. Send us an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com with your story and your anonymous name. And remember, everything is strictly anonymous. Strictly anonymous.